Amen. Let's give our, our praise team a hand for a great job this morning. How many of you are familiar with the term virtual reality? Everybody in this service, there was four in the early service that were. Virtual reality is a funny concept. It's a simulated reality. In other words, virtual reality, <laughs> by definition, is a fake reality. Uh, they're, they're placing on your computer video games where you can enter a virtual reality, and it, it appeals to your sound and to your sight, and you can actually suspend belief of reality where you are temporarily to live in a fake world. You know, someday we may go to a video store and rent virtual realities instead of movies. Like you want to experience World War II, D-Day, you know, you can be there on the beach and you can put the goggles on and you can live in that fake reality for a uh, short while if you wanted to. Well, this morning in Romans 2, we're going to look at virtual Christianity. Romans 2, we're going to start in verse 17. God's writing through Paul to this great city. It's the, it's the most significant city in the world at this time. It had over a million people there. Now, a million is not really a big metropolitan area in our world today, but it had been huge back then, especially considering everybody probably lived kind of on top of each other. It's a very multicultural city. And even the church has a lot of different kinds of people. And you have Jewish people, poor people, very wealthy people, slaves. You have non-Jewish people. And God's writing through Paul to these people in this church. And I think as we dive into this this morning, it's so important to remember this was written originally to a church which would have had professing Christians, ones who maybe were virtual, and real ones in there. So it's, I think it's very important that we understand as we look at a simulated version of Christianity this morning. Let me give you a couple of thoughts. Virtual Christianity, number one, is often about the externals and the rituals. A simulated Christianity, something that, that looks real, feels real, smells real, but may not be real. And again, Christians, you hang with me because this is for all of us. Is often about the externals and the rituals of the faith. In verse 17 and 18... Now you, if you call yourself a Jew and you rely on the law and you brag about your relationship to God, you get that and you brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. Now he's, he's laying out some pretty heavy stuff there. Paul, remember, is a Jewish man by nationality and by religious faith who became a Christian. So he's addressing the Jewish people in the church at this point. And he's saying to them, many of you are proud that you're a Jewish person by bloodline, by your religion, even though you've converted or say you converted Christianity. And he says that that's, that's fine to some extent. Here's how proud that many of them were. That you might address a person, a Jewish person. Let's say Wayne was Jew. He might want to identi uh, identify himself as Wayne Bridges Jew. Like you might say, I'm Chris Craig Baptist, or I'm Neil Breeding Buddhist, or whatever. You know, Neil's not a Buddhist. But uh, you, they, they would often say, they would introduce themselves as Chad Geis, I'm Jew. So they were, they were proud of that. And that's fine. Many of you here this morning have a, uh, a religious heritage. You're Baptist, you're Catholic, you're non-denominational. 
maybe you're Lutheran, Episcopal. I don't know what everybody's faith background is here today. And you know what? That's great that you have that. But the Jewish people were counting on that, many of them, that alone to make them right with God. And I want to tell you, being Baptist or being Presbyterian, Episcopal, Lutheran, Catholic, all that is great, but that's not enough. In verse 25, he addresses an issue which would have been very significant to them. It's going to be meaningful to us in a moment, too. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. Now, some of the countries around Israel, when it was in its own independent country, also practiced circumcision as a hygienic, medicinal thing. But the Jewish people, it was a significant religious thing. In fact, they go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, where God, through Abraham, who was the father of the Jews, initiated circumcision as part of the entry right into Judaism. On a little boy, Jewish boy's eighth birth, eighth day of life, he, he was taken and he was circumcised. And that was not just for for, again, hygienic reasons, that was a way to say that he belonged to God. So many of the Jewish people, the, the, the males and the women would have been under their care, believed because they were Jew, they'd been circumcised, that everything was right with God. In fact, they even had a Jewish tradition that said Abraham sat at the gates of hell, Father Abraham sat at the gates of Gehenna to make sure that no circumcised man was ever allowed in. In other words, if you were Jew and you had been circumcised, you were not ever going to hell. You know how that translates to our culture to some degree is baptism and sprinkling. And when I was pastor at a church in Texas, a fellow minister in our community wrote an article to the newspaper about baptism. And he, oddly enough, equated it with circumcision. As circumcision on the eighth day of birth initiated a young boy into Judaism, into the family of God. So baptizing or sprinkling a baby initiated in the family of God. And so if they were sprinkled, they were they immersed, they were whatever you want to call it, baptized, they were automatically made right with God. I was screaming in my, uh, my study as I read this. And I thought, why don't we just go to the hospitals then and sprinkle every baby, amen? If that's all it takes. Now listen, Baptist... Many of us think because we've joined a church and we've entered a baptism as an adult or as an older person that it's all okay too. Circumcision, sprinkling, baby dedications, what we do here, baptizing, uh, baptizing an infant as a religious rite, that's fine. We believe you should be baptized after you make a profession of faith. But folks, what God's saying here is that many people 2,000 years ago were caught up in that if the external and the ritual was right, then everything else was taken care of. And he was screaming at those people, not out there that weren't coming to church, but the ones in church saying, look, the external and the ritual is fine, but that is not going to make you right with God. That's profound. I mean, that's extremely, extremely, extremely important. What's your religious heritage today? You know, I, my, my, both my granddads were deacons. My father was a deacon. I've been baptized twice. 
Isn't that good? Some of you are thinking you need a third or fourth time. Maybe so. You know, someday when I stand before God, he's not going to ask me, tell me about your granddad. Was he a Christian? Tell me about grandma. Well, grandma dipped a little snuff. It's kind of gross, Jesus, but she did. She's kind of a redneck grandma. Yeah, that's, you know, but God's going to ask me about me. See, God's not, God's not against the ritual, but he wants to say to you the ritual in itself is not, doesn't make you right with God. But let me tell you where many of us who are Christians here this morning. Some of your Christians are going, oh, I've already got this figured out. But you may have, you may not. You may not be saved. You may think you are. But many of us as Christians are living a virtual faith today. We're going through the motions. We come to church, and coming to church is a great thing. I mean, it's a biblical thing. We sing the songs, or some of us do. We like the stained glass, and we like the, the aura of a sanctuary, and hopefully you'll come back tonight, and you'll take the Lord's Supper, and all that's great. But many of us who really are Christians, our faith is a virtual reality of what it used to be. We're going through the motions. We're living the externals. We're just playing out the rituals. One thing God says about Christianity that's not Christianity is its focus is not on here, it's its focus on, on the externals. Is that you this morning? First of all, are you counting on those things to get you to heaven someday? They won't. Are you counting as a Christian on some past experience? Are you counting on how you used to live for Christ to be getting your brownie points today? It won't. Many of us here today who really are believers are living a virtual, simulated, fake faith. We're just going through the motions. Okay? Here's the second thing he says. Virtual Christianity is not only caught up in the externals, it's oftentimes caught up in a pursuit of knowledge. A pursuit of knowledge. Look with me in verse 18 through 20. If you know his will, listen, listen to the strongness here. You approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law. If you are convicted that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish. How many of you feel like you're ever an instructor of the foolish? My parents did. You then who teach others... Verse 21, we'll stop there. Do you teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Here was a problem with Paul, what he was facing. The Greek culture was caught up in an intellectual pursuit of everything, philosophy, arguing, debating, who's right, who's wrong. And a lot of the Jewish people were caught up in in an intellectual arrogance of their own. And I want to tell you, 2,000 years later, we're, we're right here again. The Jews thought, we have the law, we've been instructed. Many of them had been taught the law from a, as a child growing up. They had been taught it in the synagogues. They could quote a lot of scripture. And they could tell you what you were doing wrong. God said, yeah, you've got it here, but you're not fleshing it out, living it out in your own life. And for some reason, we think that that impresses God. How many of you agree with me on this? It is a lot harder 
to say I'm sorry, to admit I'm wrong, to come to the altar, to repent, to make things right with somebody else, to tell God that I'm way off track. It's a lot harder to do that than to win an argument. See, the Jews wanted to win arguments. You see, God's not anti-knowledge, but God's just saying, listen, man, you have a virtual faith. If you think that your faith, because you know more of the Bible than somebody else, you think that that makes you superior and makes you right with God, he's saying, here, you're not living out the real deal. Hell is going to be full of people who knew the Bible very well. You remember the people who gave Jesus the most problems? It weren't the drunks and the partiers. It was the religious elite, the Green Berets. The Pharisees, many of them had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Go home and open Numbers today and try to memorize a chapter of it. You'll be in for counseling tomorrow. (laughs) Many years ago, I had a young friend who just started seminary. Seminary is graduate school for preachers. I was there for seven years. Again, Baptists don't believe in purgatory, but if we did, that would be purgatory seminary. And he had just started, finished his first semester, and he made a great comment to me. He goes, you know what I'm finding out? I'm finding out. He said, it's a lot easier to sit around and to debate the end of times, debate different theories and different theologies. Because he said, those things are complex, they're confusing, and they require nothing of you at all. He said, but when you start talking about prayer and Bible study, people begin to back off. You know why? Because it's simple. It's just hard to do. Virtual faith that will not get you to heaven is a faith that has a great understanding of God but doesn't have a heart knowledge of God. Virtual faith, listen, Christian, for many of us here today, our faith is a simulated reality of what it once was. We read the Bible, we read the book to win an argument, not to win a soul. 1 Corinthians 8, 1 says it so plain. Now about food sacrificed to idols. That's a little weird. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But this last part's easy to understand. We know that we all possess knowledge. Read this with me, but read it with me. Love makes you think you're, um, love makes other people think they're special. Knowledge makes you think you're special. Virtual Christianity is caught up in the head game, not the heart game. Here's a third thing, and obviously these things go right together. Virtual Christianity is often just words, just words, it's just talk. Well, sure, if, if you're focused on the the external and the ritual, if you're focused on a pursuit of knowledge, then you're probably going to end up with a religion that doesn't do very much. Let's look at verse 21 through 23. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? It's kind of interesting, a lot of the pagan temples... There was a lot of money, and he's kind of hinting at some of these Jewish people may have been actually stealing from the pagan temples. You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? 
He's saying to these folks, you can teach, you can instruct, you have a great profession that Abraham is my father, we belong to God. Circumcised on the eighth day, these young men could say. But there's nothing in your life that proves that you're right with God. Folks, it's wonderful. It's necessary to have a good verbal profession and understanding of your faith. But a good verbal profession is not enough. In Matthew 7, these are some words you need to chew on. Tough words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Listen to this. Many will say to me on that day, the judgment day, Lord, Lord. Did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Can you imagine that? You know what he's saying there? Is there's a lot of people, and these are church people, folks. These aren't people out there. These are people in here who can say the right things who say Jesus is Lord, who teach Sunday school, who even preach, who make great claims, who win arguments, who memorize the creeds and even Scripture. It says someday Jesus will look at them and say, hey, the truth is all you were was words. You don't have me in your life. Depart from me for eternity in hell. Wow. That's a kick, isn't it? Virtual Christianity is oftentimes simply about words and it's not good enough. But I want to tell you, many of us here today are Christians. And the truth is, we're just going through the motions. We say the right things. We know the right things. We can win an argument. We can show off our knowledge sometimes. But our life is a simulated reality of the real thing. Someone said, real Christianity has shoe leather on it. It does it. I remember in college someone saying, the tongue in your shoe and the tongue in your mouth need to match each other. You get what they were saying? It's not good enough for me just to teach you and instruct you. If I'm living a completely different way, what I say and what I do need to match. And that's what God's saying here. Many of us who are Christians, our faith is a simulated reality of what it once was. We're just talk. I want to read to you something from a a guy named Chad Walsh. He wrote in a book, Early Christians of the 21st Century, Strong Words, Millions of Christians live in a sentimental haze of vague piety with soft organ music trembling in the lovely lights from the stained glass windows. Their religion is a pleasant thing of emotional quiver, divorced from the intellect, divorced from the the will and demanding little except lip service to a few harmless platitudes. I suspect the devil has caught off his attempt to convert people to atheism. After all, if a person travels far enough away from Christianity, they're always in danger of seeing that it's real from a distance and deciding to go back to it. Satan, on the other hand, must realize it's much safer just to 
keep people vaccinated with a mild form of Christianity so as to protect them from the real disease. You know, one thing I think he's saying there, many of us are writing checks on an account that's empty. Virtual Christianity sometimes isn't a real thing at all. Just an empty boast of something that's not there. Many of us have it, but we don't have it anymore. I mean, you didn't lose your salvation, but, but our faith isn't near what it used to be. We can say the right things, but it's not who we are. And in verse 24, if everything else hadn't been strong enough, as it's written, God's name is blaspheme among the Gentiles because of you. Wow. God had chosen the Jewish people to be missionaries, to be people who went out and proclaimed his name and won people to God. And they did just the opposite. They got in a holy huddle. Many of them lived out of virtual faith. And instead of turning people to God, they turned people away from God. I read this quote this week. I thought it was sadly good. It said, what about us as Christians? We proclaim a God of love and mercy and grace and holiness and discipline, but yet our lives proclaim just the opposite of love, grace, discipline, and dedication. Why would anybody want anything to do with our God? Alexander the Great was one of the great military leaders of all time. One day he had a young man brought to him. The young man was charged with cowardness, and that was a death penalty crime. But somehow he was able to go stand before Alexander. They told him the charge, and Alexander looked at the young man, and he said, tell me your name, son. And the young man proudly bowed his little back up, and he said, my name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great said, son, change your ways or change your name. I wonder if God doesn't look down at many of our churches and many of us as Christians and sometimes want to say, change your ways or change your name. We're living a virtual reality of what it's supposed to really be like. You see, here's the bottom line in our last big thought this morning. Real Christianity is about who you are and what you do. It's not about rituals. It's not just about what you say. It's certainly not just about what you know. It's about who you are and what you do. Verse 25 through the end of the chapter state it very clearly. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you have not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically yet obeys the law will condemn you, who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, you're a lawbreaker. Verse 28, a man is not a, uh, a Jew if he is only one outwardly. No, circumcision is not merely outwardly and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly. And circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit of God, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men but from God. He says it's not from the outside in, folks. He says real Christianity starts from the inside and it works its way out. You see, this morning, some of us in this room are counting on our heritage, our denomination, the fact we were sprinkled, the fact we were baptized, 
maybe the fact you can come back tonight and take the Lord's Supper and you're counting on those things to get you to heaven. And God says it absolutely will not. And living under that is living a virtual form of the faith. You need to give your life to Christ this morning. But again, many of us as Christians are living a virtual faith. tell you, one of the most frustrating things to me, and I, I know it's, it's, it's frustrating to you, and it's guaranteed it's frustrating to God, is when you hear Christians say, what I used to do. I used to. I used to. I used to. How many of you would have a job if you slacked off for five years, but you told your boss, I used to. I used to. I used to. And they would say, you can go do somewhere else to. <laughs> John 14, 21, Jesus says, whoever has my commands and can argue about them and can debate them is the one who loves me. Is that what it says? Wake up. It's not what it says, is it? Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Let's jump on to James 1, 22. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so to deceive yourself, but do what it says. Do what it says. You see, Christian, no doubt as God wrote through Paul to Rome, he was saying to them, as he says to us today, don't keep looking back, patting yourself for what you used to do for God. You used to do for the church. How you used to be. What are you doing now? Are you living a virtual reality of your faith? A simulated one of the real one? And again, I think all of us have to look inside this morning and go, do I really have a true faith in Christ? How many of you this morning have a wedding ring on? Good, there's no hands on the front three rows. That makes me feel better. How many, raise your hand again, like five people. We are the most, okay, good, good, good. Wedding ring is a neat thing, isn't it? I like my wedding ring. I wanted to get a gold tooth to match it, but my wife wouldn't let me when we got married. (coughs) We got married on Independence Day. You wouldn't believe the jokes I heard. You're losing your independence on Independence Day. Yeah, yeah, whatever. But it's easy to remember, guys. I bet I made a better decision there than you did. A wedding ring is a cool thing. I encourage people to wear the wedding ring. But 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 just think think through this with me. You're married. Or you're going to be married someday. Your spouse wears their wedding ring, and they like it. And they will talk about how, how expensive it is. And they will let you know how faithful they are. And they, I never take that ring off. I always have that ring on. And they're cheating on you time after time after time after time. What does that ring mean? Something needs to be wrapped around somebody's head, right? Some people don't wear their wedding rings very often. My dad never wore his. I don't know why. It's slightly weird. I guess he just didn't want to wear it. Some people don't ever wear it. Don't brag about how faithful they are or how great a spouse they are. But year after year, year after year, year after year, they're just faithful and committed. 
Let me ask you this morning. Would you rather have a spouse who wore the ring all the time, who cheated on you every other week, or one who never wore it and was faithful? You do not have to be a neurosurgeon to get that right. Why not have both? Why not wear the ring? Why not enjoy the external? Proudly proclaim you're faithful and you love your spouse. The main thing is, are you? (laughs) You see, a lot of Christians are doing that about Christ. We have the ring, but we're just not living it out. Some of you have the ring this morning, but really you don't belong to God. And I want to challenge you, wherever you are, to move your faith from the virtual to the real now. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I want you to dig deep. I want you to look in your heart today and ask God what you need to do. If you're not a Christian or you're unsure if you're a Christian this morning, it doesn't matter all the rituals you've been through or the rituals you haven't been through. If you're unsure, I want you to pray with me. I just simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I believe you're the Son of God who died for me. Jesus, this morning, come into my heart. Jesus, today, I give you my life. Let me have your attention just for a second. Just a second, we're going to stand. I'm just going to ask you this morning to stand and bow your heads and to respond. Maybe you just ask Christ in your heart or you're ready to do it. Would you step out today? Come talk to a minister. Let us help you with this decision, greatest decision you can make. But you need to make it. You need to make it. Maybe you'd like to join the church. One way you can do that is by easing down and there'll be ministers down here. We'll help you with that. Come join us today if God's leading you to. But every Christian here, you need to make a decision. We need to make a decision, whether it's where we're standing or at the altar. Is our Christianity a fake version of what it used to be? Is it a simulated reality of what God expects? And will you make that move to get it right with God this morning? Let's stand. Just bow your head. And as God leads you, respond to Him this morning. Respond to Him now.